I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are going to be discussing Division 3 recruiting with Jordan Brown, who is currently working in the admissions department at Occidental College in Los Angeles, California. And Jordan is a former junior player, a um, a former college player. He played, as you will hear in the podcast, at Fordham University his freshman year, which is Division One, and then decided to make a transfer to Oxy, uh, which is a Division Three school, Occidental College. And he has really great insights on what the pros and cons are of each division of college tennis and, you know, what prospective student athletes can expect to gain from both of them. Jordan is, his current role is as the assistant dean of admission and coordinator of student athlete recruitment at Occidental College. He got his bachelor's at Oxy and a master's degree in education policy from Columbia University. So he went coast to coast to coast for his educational training and is now back in the Southern California area uh, where he is living and working at Oxy. So I am thrilled to have Jordan on and to have him share his insights and experiences with all of you. I also want to just remind you, if you haven't already, to please be sure to take a look at our tennis parent recruiting panel that we are doing as part of the WTCA conference in New York on August 23rd. It is, excuse me, a half day panel. We will have college coaches from Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three and NAIA schools, and they will be there to discuss the recruiting process with you, to answer questions, and um, basically just to serve as a resource. That panel is comprised only of women's tennis coaches, and so we are inviting those of you who have daughters who aspire to play college tennis. Next year, we're hoping to expand the panel to cover parents of both boys and girls. But this year, since it is the WTCA, the Women's Tennis Coaching Association, we figure we'll start with the girls. So um, the link for that conference to get more information and to register is on our website, parentingaces.com. If you're a premium member of parentingaces.com, you get a really nice discount off the registration. So check that out as well. And now I would like to invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jordan Brown. Welcome, Jordan Brown, to the Parenting Aces podcast. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to catch up with you. You reminded me when we were speaking offline earlier that you and I had crossed paths a while back, and here we are crossing crossing paths again. And I'm just I'm so grateful that you were willing to do the podcast and share your knowledge and experience with the Parenting Aces audience. So thank you. Oh well, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So before we delve into Division Three recruiting and Division Three college tennis, which is the thrust of today's conversation, I would love for you to give our audience a little bit of background on your life in tennis. Yeah, no, I'd love to. So I guess first and foremost, I'm, I am a tennis fanatic. I eat, sleep, breathe tennis. Um, and that really started 
you know, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, I'm originally from San Diego, so I competed in, uh, in Southern California junior tennis tournaments. Uh, and really, when I think about kind of my college search, it was pretty driven by uh, my passion for tennis. I was very much someone who was adamant that they were going to play college tennis. Uh, I was especially uh, excited about the prospect of playing Division I college tennis, which is ultimately what led me to Fordham University, where I enrolled for my first year. Uh, and then at Fordham, I had, a, I had a, you know, overall a very positive experience, but I really wanted uh, a small liberal arts college I realized would be a better fit for my academic interests and the kind of community I was hoping for. And it also kind of came to bear that uh, I realized Division Three tennis had a level of competition that really was a great fit for me as well. And I ultimately transferred to Occidental College, where I finished my um, finished my degree and played three years there. And then I actually was an assistant tennis coach after I graduated for two years. And then our paths crossed when I was doing uh, public relations work for Wilson Tennis. And I, I mean, the ability to just kind of stay involved in tennis in my professional life has been amazing. And then I, I went to graduate school at Columbia and played club tennis on the Columbia tennis team. And now I'm in my, my current role in my dream job as the uh, coordinator of student athlete recruitment at Occidental College. Fantastic. And so, you know, it's so funny to hear you say, like, you know, the dream was to play Division One, And that seems to be the case with a lot of junior players. A lot of junior coaches kind of promote that ideal. Uh, parents buy into that whole concept of Division One is better than Division Two or Division Three. And the more I learn, the more I realize that's really not necessarily the case. No, I, I mean, absolutely. I was totally ignorant of the Division Three tennis landscape. Um, but when I think about Division Three tennis now, you can't help but think of the quality of junior players that are choosing to play Division Three tennis. And you only need to look at, you know, the, the UTRs and the tennisrecruiting.net uh, kind of recruiting rankings to get a sense of the you know, the caliber of player that's choosing Division Three, And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the competition's good. You're going to have good matches. Um, the other thing is if you're a really high-achieving junior tennis player and you go D3, then you have a chance to really leave a legacy, do something special. Um, and then there's also really, really rigorous, great academic institutions uh, that, are, that are part of the D3 ecosystem. Um, and then I guess maybe the last thing is affordability. A lot of uh, a lot of Division three schools, especially well-resourced liberal arts colleges, are going to be able to provide generous financial aid. And we know with men's tennis for Division one, they offer four and a half scholarships that are going to be divided up amongst the whole tennis team. So it's not necessarily the case that um, you know that that scholarship offer is going to be there, and it's more affordable to go D one. In many cases, it's not. Right. And I, you know, that's a kind of a point that I've been trying to drive home to the parenting aces community is a lot of times there is, as you say, much more scholarship money available at the division three level than there is at division one. And on top of that, if for some reason, a junior player gets to college and decides after a year, two years, three years that they're done playing tennis, a tennis scholarship goes away if you leave the tennis team. An academic scholarship does not go away yeah. as long as you keep your grades up. And so I think, you know, that to me is a really important piece of the puzzle because 
you know as well as as I do how expensive junior tennis development is. And, you know, to be able to sort of recoup some of that expense in the form of college scholarship money is invaluable. No, absolutely. Not to mention the kind of balance that comes with the the practice uh, regulations at the Division three level. I think it really um, cultivates kind of a healthy relationship with the sport and probably leads to, to less burnout, um, and at least kind of was my case in my experience. I really appreciated the uh, kind of the more balanced life I was able to have the D3 student athlete. So what happened at Fordham that caused you to realize it wasn't the best fit for you? Well, so I really, as I mentioned, when I was in high school, I really let tennis drive my own college search. Um, and I, I was pretty set on playing division one tennis. And that was one of the main reasons why I picked Fordham that. And because I, uh, I told my parents I wanted to be as far from San Diego as I possibly could go. Uh, so I went to New York. Um, but uh, when I was there, I realized that um, kind of, academically a small liberal arts college was more in line with my own kind of intellectual curiosities and the, the kinds of things that I wanted to study. I also realized that there's a sense of community and a relationship based culture at a small school um, that I was really looking for. And then on the, on the tennis front, I mean, it really didn't, um, I, I had a little bit of kind of buyer's remorse with what I, with what I was hoping for. I got there and I was like, Oh, this is, you know, a lot of practice. I really feel kind of, unbalanced. And not to mention when I was at Fordham, I can't speak to the quality of the team. Now we, we weren't particularly good. So we also lost a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's never fun. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, this is kind of, you know, dominating my college experience and I'm taking a lot of losses. I mean, this is, I had a, a kind of probably a more negative relationship with tennis uh, there than I, than I did in my subsequent years. Interesting. Interesting. And so, I mean, this is another point that I think it's important for parents and players, junior players to hear is that all division one programs are not created equally, just as Mm -hmm. all division three programs are not created equally. And there is a wide range of funding available for the tennis program. There's a wide range of expectations for the team in terms of practice hours, in terms of academic success. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, range in terms of how many perks the team is getting from the school, what kind of travel arrangements they may have. And so there are a lot of different factors that need to be weighed as you're choosing your, your college, you know, that next step in, in your tennis development, your college paths. So I, now that you are the, let me, I have to read your title because it's so long, the Assistant mm-hmm. Dean of Admission and Coordinator of Student Athlete Recruitment. Mm-hmm. What, what does that role entail? Yeah, um, so there, I definitely wear several different hats. Part of it is guiding prospective student athletes um, through the the admission process, right? Like the coaches are going to uh, be the leaders in the actual recruitment of the student athletes, but uh, I'm there. Uh, you know, if there's questions about um, kind of how to apply, uh, what sorts of uh, things factor into our evaluation of, of applicants, 
Um, I work with coaches to help facilitate visits to campus. Um, I also work with coaches to identify strategies for more um, successful recruitment that aligns with kind of their goals as well as Occidental's kind of overall enrollment goals of enrolling, you know, highly academically prepared student athletes. Um, and I, I'm able to, to also meet with students on campus and talk a little bit about um, kind of what makes Oxy distinct or uh, the things that I think are important to know about Occidental. Um, so it's a really, really fun job. And getting back to your earlier point about kind of thinking about you know, how not all tennis programs are not created equal. I think it's really important when, uh, you know, prospective students are building out their college list, when they're, when they're thinking about playing a sport at a college, really, it's not that, it's not too different from someone who's not thinking about playing a sport at a college. If you need to think about whether or not the academic programs align with your interests, you want to think about what size school is kind of what you're looking for. You want to think about the location, uh, and then you want to overlay that athletic piece. And those are all the things that you were talking about, you know, maybe relationship with the coach, where you fit into the lineup, potentially uh, what kind of, uh, you know, how big of a role you want tennis to be a part of your, uh, your student experience. Think about, you know, commitment to practice times and travel for matches, you know, Occidental competes in the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference with uh, eight other schools that are within 90 minutes of us. There's really limited travel uh, so you're not going to have to miss extended class time. So those kinds of considerations should also enter into the calculus. And I think um, that's how I always try to uh, advise students to to begin thinking about their college list. And so with Division three, what are the major differences between how things are done on a day-to-day basis versus a Division one program? I mean, you you yeah. experienced both as a student athlete and now you you know you're in the upper echelons of administration uh, at a D three school. So the the biggest difference are uh, restrictions around practice time. So at the Division three level, you have a traditional season and a non traditional season. So for for tennis, that's going to be non traditional in the fall and traditional in the spring. Non traditional means that you can practice. Um, uh, I forget the number, but somewhere between, you know, 20 and 30 hours with a coach for that season. That doesn't mean that that's all the tennis you're going to play in the fall. Uh, there's always practices that are going to be led by captains, and you're certainly on your own volition able to practice as much as you like with your teammates, um, but it can't be compulsory. So you cannot have mandated six days a week practice for, you know, the entire fall. In the spring, the traditional season, uh, that's going to look a little bit more like uh, maybe what a division one season looks like with six days a week practice, um, you know, 20 to 24 match dates, um, strength and conditioning in the afternoon after you've already hit. So that's going to be uh, kind of a little more in line with the division one um, level of intensity, but the big difference is that there is an off season. Mm-hmm. And I mean, division one, there's, there is, I mean, the fall season's the individual season. So it is different from the spring dual match season. But depending, again, on the school, like I I will tell you, um, my son's freshman year, he was at a Division I school, and they went to one tournament in the fall. And that was it. Mm. That was was the extent of their competition in the fall. 
Uh, in the spring, obviously, you know, there was the dual match season, but not every school is sending players to tournaments and events all fall. Um, not at the D1 level and not at the D3 level. <laughs> you know, it just, it depends, yeah. right? It does. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, you know, for me, I think the biggest, well, the two biggest issues that differentiate D1 and D3 to me are one, as you said, that balance of academics and athletics. And at Division three, a player truly is a student athlete. They are a student first and an athlete second. Division one at a lot of the programs, you can almost flip that around and call them athlete students. Yeah. Did you feel that when you when you were at a Division One school? Did you feel like the athletics kind of trumped everything else? Yeah, my my year at Fordham, my identity as a tennis player was definitely the most salient part of my experience. And then transferring to Division Three school at Occidental, not only was I on the tennis team, uh, but I was able to work in the admissions office. I was a senior fellow, which meant I interviewed prospective students, uh, which is part of why I work in admissions now. Uh, and then I also uh, was able to teach health workshops through a, uh, an organization on campus in ninth grade classrooms all across Los Angeles um, at schools where they don't offer a health curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I was really only able to pursue these other things, which were tremendous opportunities for growth for me. Uh, again, because of the flexibility and balance afforded at the Division three level. Right, right. What did you major in? I forgot to ask you that. I was a philosophy major. Wow. Okay. And you took that into <laughs> into a marketing PR type job right out of school. Kind of interesting. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, but I would think it comes, the philosophy comes in very handy in your current role. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the level of kind of analytical thinking that uh, is required for philosophy, the you know the clarity needed in writing, absolutely helps me in my current role when I evaluate applications. It helps me. Uh, it certainly helps me in the PR world when I would write those press releases. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, just kind of the level of you know critical thinking uh, that's required as well is something I think that really kind of transcends into any field. So I'm I'm super grateful for my my philosophy degree. And that's not a typical tennis player major, right? I mean, you know, I've interviewed a bunch of players and who played in college and, you know, a lot of them are business and marketing or sports marketing or maybe, um, you know, something related to health and PE, um, you know, so philosophy, I mean, were any of your teammates philosophy majors too? No. And in fact, there were only five philosophy majors in my entire graduating class. So not many people are philosophy majors in general. (laughs) That's so interesting. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So can we go back to your role, your PR role where Uh you and I first met and kind of what led you as a philosophy major to take a PR job and how you were able to get hired to do that work for Wilson Tennis? Yeah, that was uh, that was really uh, a lot of luck, if I'm being completely honest. I ended up applying for a job at a PR agency uh, in Orange County after I graduated, uh, and I was hired. And then within probably 
six weeks of being hired, Wilson was brought on as a client. And I had no uh, idea that that was going to be the case when they had hired me. And I also had the most sophisticated level of tennis knowledge, which is not necessarily saying a lot of anyone in the office. Um, so immediately I was uh, kind of thrust into more of a leadership role, which uh, I, was, I was super grateful for. And I also got to work on stuff that I was incredibly passionate about. Um, you know, so I, I, I definitely uh, just kind of right place, right time. Yeah, but, you know, I'm a firm believer and we make our own luck. And so there was something, you know, that that led you there. And um, this whole notion that you did have this love of tennis and that you were able to utilize that in a way to help you get ahead professionally is pretty awesome. Well, thank you. And I, and I did know at the time that the PR agency worked with um, athletic and fitness brands. So it wasn't also, I should, I should clarify that that was also part of the reason of what drew, drove me to that particular agency. So I think, yeah, finding, having kind of a soft focus and trying to find the things that you're interested in and being open-minded really can lead you down, uh, you know, a path that you never expected, but maybe an awesome fit. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to switch gears again, and we're going to go back to this whole recruiting idea because it's about, well, when this airs, it's going to be almost the end of July. Um, Kids are getting ready to go back to school. And for those who are entering their senior year of high school and maybe haven't made a decision about where they want to play college tennis. I would love for you to talk a little bit about specifically what they should be doing at the outset of their senior year to really kind of jumpstart the recruiting and help them get mm-hmm. to a place where they're ready to commit somewhere. Totally. And I want to, I want to ease anyone's anxiety that if you know it is the end of July and you have no idea where you're going to college or you're not even sure where you're going to apply, that is totally okay. That is totally okay. I would first start, like I said, uh, by really trying to come up with some set of criteria around what sorts of qualities you're looking for in the school. Overlay that tennis piece, right? Like try to understand, and we have to be really honest with ourselves. I know. I uh, I wanted to believe that maybe I was better than I was, especially when I was 17 years old. Uh, but really, have kind of um, you know open open eyes to you know what our you know what your level of kind of tennis preparation is and where that may fit in the uh, in the tennis recruiting landscape. And then reach out to all those schools, reach out to all those coaches, fill out the recruit questionnaires that are on athletics websites. Coaches look through all of that. And that's totally an appropriate way to kind of initiate contact. The next thing that I would be really, really prepared to do, especially if we're talking about selective, uh, highly selective division three schools is be prepared to put forward your transcript. Coaches are not going to want to necessarily go down the road of recruiting you and, you know, talking about a potential spot on the team without knowing your level of academic preparation uh, so it's very common at the D3 level for coaches uh, to ask uh, prospective students they're recruiting very early on for transcripts through their junior year, what courses they're taking for senior year, any test scores they have, whether it's SAT or ACT, uh, potentially any sort of resume listing activities they're involved in. So I would also 
kind of start getting ready to prepare those materials and send those to the coaches of the schools you're interested in. Great. And so once you've made that initial contact, what happens after that point? What's happening on the, the coach's side and the, the school side? Yeah. Um, so after the, you make contact with the coach, uh, pass along those materials. Uh, there's a little bit of variance here depending on you know which, which schools you're talking about. But in general, coaches are going to take those materials that you've provided, run them by an admissions person like myself. And that admissions person uh, is going to be able to give a preliminary, uh, not uh, conclusive, uh, but idea of what kind of candidate they are for admission. Because um, we don't want to waste the prospective students' time. We don't want to waste the coaches' time. So we really do try to have some of those conversations pretty early. So that could ultimately manifest in a, a letter from the coach or school saying that they're likely to be admitted. But it could also uh, result in less formal communication from the coach saying, hey, I talked to so-and-so in the admissions office. They think that, you know, you're uh, they think that you're likely going to be admitted, especially if you, you know, do well during fall of your senior year or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's diff- different ways it can happen. So I know in Division One programs, a lot of them, not all of them, but, um, you know, if the coach wants you and you're borderline academically, sometimes the coach can call in a favor, you know, do something to to help you get admitted Mm -hmm, to the school. mm -hmm. If you're going to be on the team, does that happen at the division three level? Yeah. So I think most division three schools recognize the kinds of contributions that our student athletes on campus are providing in terms of, uh, you know, contributing to that sense of community, the the school spirit, the fact that, you know, being talented at your sport uh, is valuable. Like it's, you know, valuable to have musicians and artists. So I think certainly that is something that plays uh, a primarily positive role when we're evaluating uh, prospective student athletes. And uh, we are aware of students that are recruited by the coaches. So that, that does play a role, especially along the margins. I'm not aware of any Division three schools that do anything particularly egregious. Uh, but I say that knowing that, I don't know if you've heard, Lisa, but there was a massive corruption scandal Oh, uh, really? Huh, I hadn't that. heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I, I say that, you know, tepidly. Um, but I do, I do think in light of that uh, Operation Varsity Blues, uh, that there is going to be a little more um, skepticism on the admission side when working with coaches, especially at highly selective schools. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of a movement towards more verification uh, that happens in admissions from, you know, what the coach or prospective student may be saying about their uh, level of accomplishment. I think tennis um, is probably less vulnerable to these kinds of things than other sports just because it is so empirical with results. Um, but, you know, there was, you know, there were tennis players involved in the, yep. in the scandal as well. So Yeah, there were and yeah. tennis coaches, sadly. So um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, speaking of that, has something come down from on high at Oxy to the admissions people saying, hey, look, we, you know, we've got to be extra vigilant here and here are the changes we're making and all of that? Yeah, no, I think I think it definitely I mean, I have a ton of confidence in the integrity of our process uh, and I'm I'm really thankful for that. But I mean, you would be 
uh, I think, missing the point of what happened if you didn't take this as a moment to sort of reassess the systems that you have in place and understand potential areas that may be vulnerable. Um, so absolutely, we're, we are uh, requiring coaches to submit uh, as much empirical information as they have around a recruited student athlete. So if it were a tennis player, uh, I mean, especially in my role, because I, I may be more conversant with the the tennis nomenclature than uh, other admissions folks, but like tennis recruiting ranking, UTRs, like those are all things that uh, that you know, will, will be checked and verified. Um, but I think even beyond some of that just general skepticism, we've had to take a moment um, as an institution, and I think all of us who are associated with college athletics, to really think about why it is we we value athletics the way we do and make sure that uh, we're able to communicate that externally because in the public discourse and meeting with prospective students and parents of you know people that aren't recruited student athletes, I think there's probably uh, a little bit of, uh, I mean, there's definitely criticism facing the processes that do exist. Um, so I think it's really important for all of us who work in athletics to be able to think about why it is we value sports uh, and why we think it's important to have those on college campuses. What has the Varsity Blues scandal done in terms of the import of test scores? Has it changed how test scores are looked at? Mm. Test um, scores meaning SAT, ACT. Uh, yeah. Um, that's not something, uh, I guess, do you mean because of what was happening with the test scores and the the, 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 the Test the takers and fraud. Yeah, yeah. 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 So unfortunately, yeah, I mean, that hasn't, uh, that, that's something that we knew had the capacity to exist um, so that test scores are, have always been vulnerable to, to those kinds of things. And that's why they're just part of the process. So I, I think they still remain a part of the process, but I do emphasize that it's just a part. And we look at all of the, all of the components of the application in conjunction with one another. So that's, you know, including the transcripts, the recommendations, the extracurriculars, the essays. Um, so I think that's why it's important to really look at everything that's being submitted in conjunction with one another. If you have a, a prospective student athlete who has the, the athletic skill to be recruited to the tennis team at Oxy, but is maybe shy on academic qualifications, specifically having to do with the SAT or ACT, is that something that you you would go back to the coach or go back to the family and say, Hey, you know, we think you're a great fit for our school. However, we need you to get your test scores up. Um, you know, you're going to need to take the test again. And, mm -hmm. and okay. So that does. Yeah. Happen. So that, yeah. So that, that there are definitely instances where we would encourage uh, a prospective student athlete uh, that really would like to attend Occidental, that it would be in their interest to, uh, to take their test scores again. And, um, but that's something that, you know, that, again, I do want to emphasize that testing is, is one one part of many in the process. So it's not uh, the be all end all. Right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of, again, what makes Division Three different, and you and I talked about this a, a little bit before we went online today, there's all these rules around, there are all these rules around compliance with the NCAA and the compliance rules differ from division to division and NAIA doesn't fall under those compliance rules because they are not considered part of NCAA 
Um, and I know you're not a compliance officer, but if a, a prospective student athlete is interested in looking at your school, at what point can they make contact with the coach? And at what point can they expect a coach to get back in touch with them? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I appreciate you couching it with I, Jordan is not a compliance expert. And I do think that uh, it's important to say at the outset that every athletics department does have someone who manages compliance. Um, so if there ever are any questions, prospective student can confer with a compliance officer uh, at the school they're interested in. But really at a place like Occidental, um, there's no need to establish contact. Um, I think uh, before junior year, and in large part, that's because at that point, the student's academic preparedness is so largely unknown um, that it, there, there's just not a whole lot of substance to that conversation around admissibility. Um, so I really do think that uh, junior year is a totally appropriate time uh, to reach out uh, to the coach of the team that you're interested in pursuing uh, and, and really getting a sense of where you may fit into their plans. Um, so that is something that's a little different on the timeline, I would say that things are a little more delayed on the Division Three side as opposed to the Division One side. I know Division One recently came out with new rules around what the earliest is someone could verbally offer um, scholarships. Uh, right. So yeah. Right, and we hear these stories about you know Division One coaches, you know, having their eye on twelve-year-olds, you know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. they're following. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so there's this fear that if you haven't emailed the coach and sent a video, you know, by October of your freshman year of high school, that you've missed the boat. Um, that's not the case. Let me just Mm -hmm. say that is not true. Um, but that said, it's interesting to hear that at division three, really, it's not true that really until you have that academic history, there's really nothing the coach or the school can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, no no one. Yeah. Junior year is a totally appropriate time to start, uh, for, for division three recruitment. Um, and it really is, you know, driven by that, that academic piece. And there's just not that um, same level of anxiety with scholarship offers and things like that, that I think precipitates an earlier process at the division one level. Well, since you brought up scholarships, let's kind of go down that path a little bit. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, parents would like to think that there's going to be some sort of scholarship money available after they've invested all of this time and money and energy into their child's junior tennis development. What types of scholarships are there at Division Three, and what is the best way for families to go about applying for them or even finding out about them? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll just just for the sake of clarity, I'll, I'll just state that Division Three, of course, doesn't offer athletic scholarships, but there are uh, really two other primary forms of financial aid. Uh, one is in the form of merit-based financial aid. Uh, at most institutions, to be considered for merit-based financial aid, you don't need to do anything extra to be considered for the merit aid that's offered at that institution. By virtue of applying, you'll be considered uh, for that merit aid. Um, that's definitely how it works at Occidental. Uh, in addition to merit-based financial aid, uh, there's need-based financial aid. Uh, and for need-based financial aid, this is looking more closely at a family's kind of individual 
financial circumstances. So at Occidental, for need-based financial aid, we require two forms, the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, as well as the CSS Profile, which is on the College Board website. And from those two forms, we determine a family's expected contribution. And we are a school that meets 100% of a family's demonstrated need. So whatever that expected family contribution is, we subtract it from the total cost of attending Occidental, and we are committed to meeting the entire difference with the financial aid award. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's why. <laughs> that's kind of uh, huge. Why, Let, let's say that one more time, Jordan, because I mean, that's huge. Yep. So we, we meet 100% of a family's demonstrated need uh, for need-based financial aid. Uh, and that's why I think it's, it's really short-sighted to, you know, think about getting a, a quarter scholarship, you know, on the men's tennis team. I think women's tennis is a headcount sport, so maybe they only offer full scholarships. Is that right? Um, that, yes. And there are eight of yeah. them. <laughs> yep, yep, eight. Um, so they're absolutely, uh, and maybe more financially viable, uh, to, to pursue a division three institution than a division one institution. Uh, and really in order to get a sense of what that cost may look like, I think families should really just go on the, the financial aid websites of the, the institutions that they're, they're interested in. Um, it's a federal mandate to have a net price calculator, which is a calculator that uh, you would put in your financial information and then you would get a close approximation of what that kind of cost burden is going to look like. And then you can get a sense early on, uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe April of when you have to decide where you're going of what, uh, you know, what's feasible financially. Uh, but absolutely, there's tons of ways at the Division three level uh, to to have an affordable college experience at a and an elite kind of academic experience as well. Right, right. So when Occidental is weighing an entrant who is or an applicant who is planning to play sports on campus, how much of the athletic ability? comes into play and how much of the academic ability comes into play or, you know, it, does it differ by, by each student? Does that make yeah, sense? What I mean, I'm asking? I, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It came out yeah, really kind yeah, of yeah. convoluted. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely, I definitely think I understand what you're asking. Uh, really the most important piece is always going to be the, the level of academic preparation. So that's going to be the starting point for everyone, recruited student athlete or otherwise. Uh, we want to make sure that all of our students are academically prepared to be successful at Occidental. We're a liberal arts college, so we ask that our students take classes across different academic disciplines and knowing that they have kind of a necessary academic foundation to be successful is, is paramount. Um, so that's where we start. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, we practice something called holistic review. So we're looking at the essays, we're looking at the recommendations, we're looking at the activities, all in concert with one another. Uh, and there's, you know, it's as much of an art as it is a science. And we weigh that athletic piece like we do um, other extracurriculars, something that's going to be really valuable to contributing to the community. So that is something that uh, certainly students with two similar academic profiles that are maybe marginal candidates, if one's a recruited student athlete, then, it, then that, will, uh, that will help them in, in the process. Uh, but it's not something where we're making uh, you know, drastically different decisions for a recruited student athlete versus non-student athlete. Got it. And in terms uh, of academics, obviously you look at GPA. What is the current school of thought around GPA and the importance of 
taking AP classes or, you know, honors classes where your GPA might suffer because it's a tougher, you know, more rigorous curriculum than an on-level class where, you know, a student who takes all on-level classes may have a higher GPA than a student who's taking mm-hmm. the AP honors um, international baccalaureate, you know, yep. those types yep. of classes. And I think that's, that's a great question. And one that uh, families should definitely be prepared to ask the, the various institutions that they're, uh, you know, the prospective student is interested in. Speaking for Occidental, we absolutely care about seeing that advanced honors IB AP level coursework because we found that students that are taking the more rigorous courses uh, that is more predictive of their future success at Occidental. Um, so we we absolutely encourage students uh, to take those advanced higher level courses within reason. We obviously uh, would never want anyone to take anything kind of to the detriment of being able to you know, play their sport or, you know, have their mental health suffer or something like that. So obviously um, there's kind of a fine line. And I think it's also important for students to um, to really think about sort of what their academic curiosities are and pursue those at a high level and not necessarily just take, you know, the most advanced course for the sake of taking the most advanced course, but really think about kind of what their, uh, where their intellectual curiosity is taking them curricularly. With tennis players, you know that there is kind of an uptick in this whole notion of virtual school, homeschool, um, in order for these kids to train more, to travel to more tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. How does Occidental look at that type of academic background? Yeah, uh, and we definitely uh, we definitely admit schools from from non traditional learning environments. Uh, I do think that. We really, we really do feel more confident when we have some evidence of a student being in a traditional learning environment um, in some capacity in high school. So maybe that means taking some online classes and virtual classes, but then taking, uh, you know, classes at the local community college or something like that. Because we we are very much a traditional learning environment, so we find uh, we find that students are kind of best set up who have also at least had recent experience. Um, in that way. So I, I, we do like students to have um, some history of being in a traditional learning environment, but it certainly admit students from non-traditional learning environments as well. Got it. Yeah. What else do we need to know? I feel like I've asked you so many questions, but is there anything I'm forgetting to ask you? Lisa, I think we've covered a, you know, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of territory today. I do too. <laughs> Thank you for that. You you have a very nice breadth and depth of knowledge, and um, I appreciate you sharing it with all of us. If my listeners have more questions for you, are you up for fielding those, or you know, would you be okay yeah, with somebody no. sending you an email? Or absolutely, yeah. No, I'm 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 more than happy to uh, to be a resource for for your listeners. Okay. So is it okay if I share your email address in the show notes? Sure. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So to my listeners, make sure y'all read the show notes on parentingaces.com. Jordan Brown's email address will be there if you have any questions for him. Is there anything else about Oxy that, you know, put the sales pitch on in these last couple minutes? 
if you're looking for a small liberal arts college that's located in a city where Los Angeles is an extension of your classroom and you want to compete in one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive, Division Three tennis conference, then we are an absolutely great fit for you. I love it. That that was the elevator pitch. You, <laughs> I you did work in PR for a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you definitely come from the PR world. I love it. Uh, well, Jordan Brown, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your insights about Division Three and recruiting at that level and, and what our young players need to be doing to prepare to be recruitable at that level. And I, you know, Occidental is a phenomenal school. I have several friends who went there. And even though I grew up in Louisiana, I, I knew people at Oxy. So um, they are very lucky to have you, Jordan. And, you know, the tennis program especially is so lucky to have you there with all of your knowledge and experience to bring to all the prospective student athletes and their families that are coming through. So congratulations to you on landing your dream job. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, you know, I think I speak for your listeners with us feeling lucky to have you and your platform and being able to bring on exciting guests. So thank you so much for your, for your podcast and all the work that you do. Uh, Thank you. That's very sweet. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.